You, me, and HIFMB. Stories of science and the sea. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the HIFMB podcast. In this episode, I talked to Kimberly Peters, our professor for marine governance, the newly acclaimed leader of the new governance group, and also the voice of our intro jingle. Um, so we talked about publishing books versus papers. What are the differences? What's the merits of each? We discussed academic systems uh, of, of Germany versus England. And we also discussed failure in academia, which is a huge part of this conversation and very valuable. So listen in, enjoy, and I give you Kimberly Peters. Welcome to our next episode of the HIFMB podcast and to our next guest, Kimberly Peters. Hi, Jan. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I'm great. Very happy to have you here. Yeah, really happy to be here. So you are a professor at, at uh, HIFMB, a professor of marine governance. Yeah, I'm one of what's called the four core professors. So we have four core working groups that were part of our new institute. Mm -hmm. uh, so one was in uh, biodiversity theory, another one in data, another one in marine conservation, and another one in governance so they're the kind of what are called the kind of core groups the four pillars yeah and then we also have working groups as well and we have other professors such as our very esteemed institute director mm -hmm. um but yeah so i'm one of those one of those four under those four pillars sweet excellent and you you when did you get here oh wow that's a good question uh, uh, amidst a pandemic when time yes changes um yeah 2020 yeah okay yeah same as me uh joined in the middle of the year yeah okay um so f for this podcast we're going to focus on on one of your newest pieces um the the routledge handbook of ocean space and um so What is it? What, and, and first of all, what is Routledge? So Routledge is a publisher um, okay. and they uh, belong to a larger publishing company called Taylor and Francis. Mm -hmm. So um, there are obviously, as we know, as academics, there are lots and lots of different publishing houses. Yes. I won't mention them all to give them all uh, different airtime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Routledge are um, a keen uh, publisher, particularly of uh, social sciences and humanities. Mm -hmm. And they have a series of what are called handbooks. And these are effectively companions to a given subject or topic. Mm -hmm. um, so a few years ago, uh, myself and some colleagues were approached to put together a handbook or a companion to ocean space, to the oceans, mm -hmm. uh, particularly through that social science and humanities lens. So that's what this book is. It's a handbook, it's a companion, it's a book that brings together a whole host of chapters that provide different cuts into or lenses mm -hmm. to look at oceans through. Okay. And, and I'm not uh, quite versed in the in the book business. Um, who, who approaches you with these things? Uh, so I've published a couple of books already mm -hmm. um, with the same publisher. All right. Uh, so they knew what I was interested in, the things that I write about. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were, were sort of thinking, it would be nice to have a companion. It would be nice to have a handbook on this particular topic. Mm -hmm. um, and it was actually my colleague who was approached first. So Professor John Anderson, uh, who's mm -hmm. one of the other editors there. Yep. Uh, so he's a really um, quite um, famous, I would say, um, cultural geographer mm -hmm. uh, based at Cardiff University. Um, and he was approached first. He works, he does cultural studies of the ocean, particularly uh, related to surfing spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and he was approached first. And then because we'd previously written a book together called Waterworld's Human Geographies of the Ocean, mm -hmm. came out in 2014, okay. um, he said, oh, Kim, do you want to come on board? 
pun intended, <laughs> um, with this. And I said, yes, that would be great. And then we said, oh, a handbook's a lot of work because it's big. You know, it's a handbook. It, it wants to think about the ocean from lots of different, as I said, angles and perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so we said, oh, should we have some extra editors too? Okay. So, um, so who's on it? Uh, so it's myself, John yeah. Anderson, uh, Philip Steinberg and uh, Andrew Davies. Sweet. Okay. And, and they're all in the in the social uh, realm or? Indeed, yes. yes. Okay. Um, so John comes from a cultural perspective, as yeah, I mentioned, as said, he's yeah. a cultural geographer. Um, Phil Steinberg is um, also, I would say, famous. Okay. He's pretty famous, I would say. Um, and he is a he, he's interested in, in politics, mm -hmm. um, particularly geopolitics. He does a lot of work on the Arctic. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he wrote a great book um, that actually sort of marked a lot of social science interventions into the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, and that that came out uh, in 2001. So, yeah, so he's he's a kind of key figure for social scientists when they turn to, to ocean studies. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then Andrew Davies is a historical, uh, is a, is, is, does his historical work, mm -hmm. um, and some of his previous work has been on the Royal Indian Navy, yeah, um, okay. and thinking about um, sort of um, linkages between colonialism and the sea. So we've got a broad range of people involved here. Me potentially from a more environmental governance perspective, John from the cultural perspective, Phil from the political perspective, and mm -hmm. Andy from the historical perspective. Yes, we... and then you have a team that build the companion. Yeah, and there it is. Yeah, yeah excellent. Yeah, I, I I read through the table of contents, and there's like it. It seems it it covers a lot. It covers diving. It covers navies, like mm -hmm. you just mentioned, um, and then swimming, depth, islands, everything. Mm -hmm. so, so it's basically your perspectives, your your four perspectives on these individual topics or on these? When we actually started the book, mm -hmm. um, what, we, what we asked ourselves were, what are the different ways in which the ocean gets, can be thought about or approached? Mm -hmm. And we started with a set of titles that were the social, the cultural, the historical, the economic. Yeah. And then we put a call out, we approached people to write chapters. Mm -hmm. And when we started to get chapters in, we didn't like the way the book was split up. Oh, right. We thought it was very unnatural. Yeah. Um, because the political is not separate from the economic. Mm -hmm. The economic <laughs> is not always separate from the historical. You mm -hmm. know, you think about something like trade routes around the oceans and they've been existing for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah. So we took a look at the book again and we rearranged it into mm -hmm. kind of new sections so it's got sections on um on environments and worlds it's got sections on labor and power mm -hmm. um and so yeah it's sort of split up somewhat differently now um so it i hope it's not a book that's a reflection of us but a book that's a reflection of the marine social sciences as they as they are mm -hmm. of, of oceans as a space basically yeah. yeah if i look at it it covers 32 topics and and is a super interesting reflection of of yeah, the the oceans as a space, and, and but you've you've written a lot of books. I saw in your CV. Mm. Do you enjoy it? Is it? Yeah, your... I mean, I think books have an interesting place in the social sciences and humanities, anyway, particularly in the humanities. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of reasons for writing books, um, and there's a couple of reasons for writing papers. I mean. Mm -hmm. Whenever you publish anything, I think as an academic, you're always thinking about who your audience is and who you want to reach. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you're thinking about what you want to say. And so there are some arguments that you can only make. There are some points that you can only develop through an extended piece of work. Mm -hmm. And that's what a book enables you to do. 
yeah. it enables you to do something that you can't do in a six to seven, seven to eight, 10 to 12,000 word paper. Mm -hmm. It enables you to have an extended discussion on a topic. Mm -hmm. um, what an edited book enables you to do is what the handbook does, which is collate a set of debates together. Now, you could argue you could do that in a special issue, but you would rarely have a special issue that has 32 papers in it. Yeah. So books enable you to do, it's just a different type of outlet. Um, it is more common, as I mentioned, in the humanities, where sometimes you are developing a longer argument mm -hmm. that requires you to piece together research in a slightly different way yeah. than you would in perhaps the natural sciences. Um, but I think... You know, it's interesting. I have natural science colleagues who've written books yeah. and they really enjoy it. And likewise, you know, I, I like and enjoy writing papers. Um, so I wouldn't say I have a preference of books over papers. Mm -hmm. um, it's always about what's the best outlet for what I'm trying to do or what I want to say in the audience that I want to reach. Yeah. The other thing with books are, you know, I mean, lots of people say, well, books aren't as good because they're not as accessible mm -hmm. because perhaps they cost a lot of money versus papers. True and not true, because there's so many paywalls on journals now. Yeah, and if you don't sure. have inst institutional access, sometimes if you do have access, your I don't know, your institution might not subscribe to every journal. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the financial implications around books versus journals, th they're quite complicated. And it's not simply a case that, well, books are more expensive, so we shouldn't publish there because journals also have the same Mm -hmm. have some of the same issues so for me it's always about what is it you want to achieve how do you want to develop an argument and is a book the best forum or is a paper the best forum so and with a book versus a paper what are the cost differences like for for um like when we as scientists publish uh, papers we have to like if, if you want to make it open access you have to uh, pay the the open access fees what are the costs involved in book writing Yeah, so um, you can have now increasingly. So mm -hmm. a couple of interesting things there, actually, that question, Jan, very interesting. <laughs> um, so oftentimes with a book like this one, so an edited book that has lots of different chapters in it by different authors, um, you can actually access it a bit like you would access a paper. Mm -hmm. So um, because lots of books are also digital now. Yeah. So um, if, for example, your institution subscribes to all journals by a particular publisher that will go unnamed, <laughs> um, they will also allow you to have access to their book chapters. Mm -hmm. So, all right, easy. Yeah. Same. Um, so same process. Um, you can also purchase individual chapters as well as an entire book. Mm -hmm. um, and you can pay to make your book open access as well. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, um, books as well, particularly a book like this, would be predominantly aimed at a library market. Yeah. So this would be something like a you know a handbook a companion it sits in a library and yeah. students and other people could pick it up as a first excuse the pun port of call uh <laughs> for ocean related topics with my very limited uh, uh experience in this if if i were to like decide whether i want to write a paper versus a book most of the knowledge i would want to put down is is uh quite up to date and quite uh, uh time constricted like when do you how do you make the call on what is book worthy like knowledge that you think is going to be like this for a while so it warrants being in the library if that makes any sense yeah i think that's a really interesting question um one of the reasons that sometimes people don't pick books is that book publishing can be a bit longer than paper publishing mm -hmm. so okay. you submit a paper and it goes through rounds of reviews and then the paper comes out and it's there and your science is there immediately 
books can be a slightly longer process mm -hmm. because the book, once you've written the book, mm -hmm. the book then, depending on the publisher, has to go out for a review again. They've reviewed it at a proposal stage. So normally when you want to write a book, you either approach a publisher or a publisher approaches you. Mm -hmm. And then you would write a book proposal. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sets out what the book looks like. At okay. that point, the proposal and oftentimes a couple of chapters from the book will go under review mm -hmm. and they'll be reviewed like a paper would be reviewed. How many reviews do you have? Oh, uh, God, it can depend. Okay. Um, when I wrote my textbook, that had 12 reviewers. Ooh, okay. Yeah, right. um, because, of course, it was for a discipline wide book. Mm -hmm. So they needed to make sure that it like would would appeal to the discipline yeah. um and then yeah so then you have to respond to the reviewer comments and then you write the book and then the book gets reviewed again mm -hmm. and then you effectively um the book goes off to production mm -hmm. and depending on the size of the book that can take quite some time so my textbook took it was about nine months it was in production for how long is it uh the book uh it's about hundred eighty thousand words okay so how many pages is that? That's about 300 pages. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so just because of the way it gets copy set in mm -hmm. particular in particular ways. But the thing to... And obviously you have to decide on the cover and there might be a marketing strategy and that kind of thing. But more often than not, um, actually book publishing is much quicker now than it used to be. So I think there used to be this myth that, you know, you don't want to put your best science in a book because books are slow. Mm -hmm. uh, books take a long time to come out. But I don't think that's true anymore. I think books are much faster than they used to be because of, as I mentioned, you know, digital formats now, the fact you can download chapters online. Mm -hmm. So books are a different, they are a, a sort of a different kettle of fish <laughs> now. <laughs> Two. How many puns do you think I can fit in? Eleven, I think. Okay, I'll try. Yeah. Right, how many have we had so far? Two or three, maybe? I think three, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll make a tally. Okay. Um, Where are we going next on our voyage? Yeah. <laughs> on the publishing date. So when when will this... Is this out already? Uh, it will come out in July 2022. Yeah, okay. So it's got a cup. So it's in production at the moment. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's the sort of... Yeah, that, that, that lengthy bit of... The production on a handbook's a bit longer because it's so big. Yeah. So, how, how, so so this is 32 chapters. How long is yeah. this in, in word? Oh, wowza. Uh, okay. oh, 300,000, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and in pages, roughly? Oh, I don't know, because it's not typeset yet. Right, okay. So. Okay. Do you, but uh, did you pick a cover, uh, cover It has page got yet? a cover, yeah. You do? Okay. Yeah, it's a boat on a map. <laughs> which is know. which is you know it's a handbook of ocean space who who made it or um it was it's uh we had to just pick a cover image and mm -hmm. you basically look for a set of cover images from uh, they give you a selection we picked one sweet so perfect yeah okay moving on on our uh, marine voyage to your your academic life yeah um so you're a you're a professor now here mm. at at uh, HFMB or at the uni? Um, both. Both. Yeah. So I I hold a a post at the uh, ICBM, which is the Institute for Chemistry and Biology of the Marine Environment mm -hmm. at the university, and I have a second affiliation to the Institute of Social Sciences, mm -hmm. and then I'm technically seconded to the Alfred Wegener Institute yeah. and sort of do my work here at the HFMB. Perfect. Good for us. That was a smooth answer. Yeah, it was super smooth. And uh, so I, I think that the systems are a bit different in, in the UK and in Germany. Mm. When when do you get to call yourself a professor in the UK? Yeah, the systems are quite different. I would admit I'm still trying to fully understand the German system yeah, versus the UK system. Um, in the UK system, um, the way that it tends to work is once you have a PhD, you can 
begin if you choose to stay in an academic career, mm-hmm. if the system allows you to stay in an academic career, because we know the challenges. Um, and that's one thing that is really, 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 I think, important to discuss is precarity, short term contracts, the yeah. ways in which um, you find security in an academic career. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you have completed a PhD, there are various pathways in the UK. Um, you may seek a postdoctoral position where mm. you're working either on your own research project or a research project that's funded by someone else and you become the the, the postdoc on that project. Um, or you might go down a teaching route where you take a, a teaching associate or a teaching fellow post. Mm. Um, some people will go straight into what's called a lectureship and that might be temporary or it might be permanent. But in the UK, effectively, once you finish the PhD, you can, it's rare, but you can step straight into a permanent position as, mm. a, as a lecturer. Okay. That, that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you're, you have that lecturing role, um, it's then, there's then a number of, of steps, effectively. Yeah. Um, so in the UK system, you tend to go um, lecturer, senior lecturer, reader, professor. Mm-hmm. And at each step, you would apply for a promotion Mm -hmm. and that whether or not you get that promotion depends on your status, so to speak. Um, I did some inverted commas there, everyone (laughs) listening, so your your status Uh, in your given field that's set against a number of benchmarks. Again, we could talk about the politics of those benchmarks, about how academic work is valued, Mm -hmm. numbers of papers, money, grant monies that are brought in. And those things are these kinds of markers of your success as an academic. And they're in some ways deeply problematic because yes. of the way that um, higher education and academia works, uh, not just in the UK, but I think globally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the system in the UK is that you then work your way up and you apply to go to each different level based on your ba- based on your experience and based on your um, the things you have in your in your backpack you know numbers of papers numbers of grants numbers of students you supervise and so on yeah and that's the way that the system tends to work so um and when you are a professor in um, one of the things i mean some people would say this isn't a correct thing to say but i'm going to say it anyway (laughs) why not um technically in the uk system the job of a lecturer and a professor is exactly the same Mm -hmm. You do research, teaching and administration and you work your way up the ladder by becoming more experienced. Now, it is the case that when you're a professor, you'll have more responsibility Mm -hmm. than the lecturer may have. But even then, that's sometimes disputable in the UK system because, you know, many, many lecturers, early careers have a lot of responsibility for their level of role. Um, So so the. And that's quite different to the German system because a professor in the German system leads a research group. Mm-hmm. They have a research cluster. Yeah. Um, the organization of academia is, is slightly different in the UK in that sense. That's not to say that professors don't have research groups, but they're less formalized than they are here. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how does, a, how does a senior lecturer compare to a, a lecturer in, in terms of responsibility? Yeah, I mean, in terms of... The, the, they say the jump between a lecturer and a senior lecturer is one of the hardest ones you can make. Okay. Um, it was hard for me. I, yeah. I, I failed a couple of times before I got my senior lectureship. Okay, yeah, that's good to know. So, um, and I think it's really important to talk about... about and they're not failures, mm-hmm. um, you know. No. And I think it's really important to normalize that, that you don't make a smooth trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And neither should it have to be a trajectory that we're all working our way somehow to the top. Yes. Um, and so um, the, it's one of the biggest leaps to make. And it's effectively, it's when you transition between 
being someone who's come out of a PhD to being someone who has established the next big bit of research that they're doing. So, mm. you know, you've got your PhD research and then after you finish your PhD, you, you publish from that, you maybe start the next project. The senior lecturer role is almost when you're taking your research to the next step, mm -hmm. defining your next big project. Right. Um, and, and, and do so independently. Um, and that's a big thing about, I think the UK system is, at least, um, is it's very much based on leadership mm -hmm. and independence. Okay which also cuts against the grain of the whole nature of collaboration and teamwork that's so valued. That's not to say you don't have to have those attributes, but so much of, of that promotion is based on you, mm -hmm. you individually showing what you've done to make the difference and you being the leader in your field. All right. Mm. Seems intense. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think it's intense. I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say it's less intense than any other system mm. yeah. i think you know when you you look at the academic systems in places like australia which is really competitive yeah yeah um it. and and i mean i think germany is really is really is really competitive because mm. there isn't that middle space in germany where you can uh, as easily where you can get a perm like a permanent lectureship where mm. you can effectively be fairly um junior in your career and have a permanent job yeah um there isn't much space for that um so Yeah, it's hard in all the, in all systems. Yeah, do you yeah. have tenure track? Is is, is tenure track um, professorships? Is that a, a American thing or a UK That's thing? That's in the US. The US. So okay. in the UK, we tend to have a thing called probation. Right. So when you're a lecturer, if you you're mainly they'll set you a set of goals again against a number of benchmarks, <laughs> um, and you have to yeah meet them. Um, lots of places will say the probation is always achievable mm -hmm. so you wouldn't get hired unless you would be able to meet that probation but of course okay. uh, sometimes people don't meet that yeah. those, that probation or the goalposts get changed mm -hmm. um and oftentimes not because it's the fault of the individual concerned it could be because they've had extra responsibility or oh. or extra pressures so yeah i mean i think i think increasingly it's really really important to talk about the academic system um oh. or academic systems and how they function and yeah how to support people who want to make a career for themselves in in this because ultimately academia is only as good as the people who are in it mm, okay and the like you mentioned the the jump from phd straight to uh teaching right to, to a teaching position yeah so i yeah well yeah do you want to hear the the fail the, the the failure story or do you want to hear the yeah so no i couldn't find a job at all for okay. a year after my phd so okay. um so i worked in a bike shop mm -hmm. in london on great portland street yeah um so yeah i learned to change a puncture really quickly nice um how, so how I, fast can you do it well when i was working there in about a minute really oh, yeah God, no, that's, yeah that's yeah incredible. really quick yeah. um <laughs> i couldn't do it that fast now i'm like now i'm a bit like oh you know 10 minutes 15 minutes um <laughs> but um but yeah um i yeah I, could, i couldn't i mean i was working in the bike shop at the end of my phd anyway sort of funding mm -hmm. the end bit of my phd mm -hmm. um and then yeah i tried to find an academic job and i applied for academic jobs i didn't even get a reply didn't okay, get yeah. shortlisted didn't get a letter didn't you know and that was for a year then i moved back in with my mother mm -hmm. um i said that in a way that was i love my mum. um <laughs> I moved back in with my mum and then it got to one point where I just said, oh, I don't think this is going to happen for me. And mm -hmm. I got a job as a, I did my first degree in town planning and I got a job as a planner. Oh, right. Working for the uh, National Health Service for in, the NHS in the UK. In London. So. As a transport planner uh, in Slough. 
Oh, which well, is just outside of London. Right, okay. It's a town just outside of London. Yeah, so I did travel planning for six months. Mm -hmm. And then I was still applying for academic jobs. And then eventually I got my first academic job, which was a five-month contract. It so I moved across the country for a five-month teaching contract. Was that to Sheffield? Yeah. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. And so, again, I, I think it's harder now, you know? I think, I, I mean, I think it's useful to say that you, you go through these journeys, but I also think... You know, I, I also am quite reluctant telling that story because I think that okay. I don't want to sound like I understand the challenges that current early career staff are going through because I think it's I think it's harder now. You know, in the right. social sciences and humanities, it's really tough. And I wouldn't claim that my experience. I mean, I would say my experience now is probably at the better end of the spectrum of what some people are going through. So, yeah, I ended up on a, a teaching only contract um, for five months. Yeah, for yeah. five months. And then I was quite lucky however you want to describe lucky <laughs> uh, because it, it just kept getting extended so it got extended for another five months and oh, I see. you know okay. but it was a tricky time because I had a five-month contract but the shortest you can get a house contract for in the UK is six months yeah, yeah, so exactly. I was like oh no what am I going to do like am I going to be able to pay my rent and how's that going to work and I'd never and also you know I'm a real southerner and I was like, I have never been north of the M25. That's a motorway um, and I was like oh god um, so yeah. Um, Are you from London? Yeah, okay. yeah, I was born in London, opposite the Houses of Parliament. Oh, oh. I'll share that with our listeners this yeah. afternoon. Um, so yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. So about as central as you can get. Yeah, wonderful. Mm. And then, so uh, growing up in London, then what was, where did you do your bachelor's and, and master's? Uh, I, Cardiff, and I went to Cardiff University and I did a planning degree. Mm -hmm. mm. And so town planning. So, so that was the bachelor? Yeah. Yeah, okay, right. And then I did a master's degree in geography. Mm -hmm. And then a PhD in geography. Yeah, right. Yeah. And the PhD was in London again. Yeah, back to London. So over to Wales, over the border to Wales and yeah. then back to England. Wales. And it mm -hmm. took you back to Wales though at one point. Yeah. As a, as a lecturer after Sheffield? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was, um, so that was great actually. Um, so mm -hmm. I was really fortunate again to get these, to get that job. You know, I think again, it's really difficult because I do think there is an element of luck. There's an element of being in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I don't want to belittle talent, the talent of scientists. Um, there's so many great people out there, but I also think there is an element of luck that, yeah, of that you're there when the opportunity is there. And then there's great people who just at the time they come out of their PhD, yeah. it might be that there's just no jobs. There's nothing advertised. Yeah. And then really great people get lost from the system because, yeah. because of, of that, that dimension of it, that unpredictability of, did someone get a project funded that needs a postdoc? No, exactly. So yeah, yeah. I, I had the same when I came out of my master's, like looking for PhD projects, which weren't my thing, also applied for them, never got replies. And, and then like six months after that, the, the perfect position was announced and, and that was like fit like a glove. And mm. but yeah, you never know when that arises. Yeah. 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 And so the, the job in Aberystwyth came up and honestly, yeah. I mean, I couldn't even say the name. Um, and and I was and it, it's right it's right in the middle of West Wales, mm -hmm. and it, it takes four hours on a train from Birmingham to get there. Oh, and really that long? Yeah, and it's a town of like eight thousand people, okay. and I was born in London, <laughs> and so which is like eight million people. Um, and and I have to say, I I was a bit, you know. So again, it's this tension between again being really fortunate that I was able to move. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some people, because of family commitments, caring responsibilities, mm -hmm. can't 
can't move so freely for academic jobs and academic positions and they're geographically fixed yeah i was lucky i could move mm -hmm. there was a job there um and i applied and i didn't get it <laughs> <laughs> so that's a running theme yes. um yeah and um and actually someone else got the job um and then what happened was someone else left mm -hmm. and so they were like oh well we'll make two hires so i was the second choice candidate oh wonderful uh, and then i got this call saying oh we would like to offer you the job as well <laughs> and uh and i said oh okay so yeah so i took the job um and it was a great move um all my reservations about living in a really small mm -hmm. town in west wales um it was just it was fantastic yeah. um, because because it was such a small place, it, the university was really agile mm -hmm. and responsive and um, the people were just amazing. Yeah. Intellectually, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. Like I learned so much from the people who work there um, and, you know, I'm still in touch with them and I still work with them now. Yeah, wonderful. So I've actually got a grant proposal in at the moment with one of my former colleagues there. Sweet. Um, so, um, so yeah, you get those enduring ties. Academically, it was a fantastic fit. Mm. So, um, yeah, so you, you can have reservations perhaps about what step your career ta will take and where you will move. Mm -hmm. And I had real reservations because yeah. I was like, oh, goodness. I can, you know, I'm moving somewhere. I, I can't spell it. Um, so, and and actually, it, it was a fantastic move. And sometimes taking those chances, um, if you're lucky enough again, and it's the right time and right place that you get that opportunity, mm -hmm. even as a second choice, um, <laughs> you you know, taking it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How far is um, I, I lived with a with a guy from from Wales from Aberdeer. How far is that from Aberystwyth? Oh, Aberdeer. Um, everything's a long way in wales because yeah, there's okay. no that bit of there's only one motorway in wales yeah it's in right. south wales so even the shortest distances take quite some time yeah i would my guesstimate would be three hours okay. everything is three hours in wales but yeah i definitely <laughs> echo how, how <laughs> i definitely echo how how amazing the people are he's mm. a he's a great guy mm. um they they make great people in wales mm. <laughs> uh okay and then so, so how long were you in Aberdeer? uh Aberystwyth. Aberystwyth, sorry that's all right <laughs> um, I would like to go to Aberdeer. <laughs> no, um, so um, uh, four years. Okay. Yeah. And then to Liverpool. And then to Liverpool, yeah. Which is not that far from Wales either. Yeah, no, no, and also um, w um, Liverpool has um, gets its water from Wales. Oh, it does. It I does indeed. Yeah, it's quite a sad story actually. Would you like to hear it? Oh, sad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go for it. Um, so um, effectively, to supply water to particular areas of England, uh, they actually flooded entire Welsh villages. Oh, what? Yeah. Okay. So people lost their, their homes, their historic homes, flooding and creating reservoirs. When for, was this? Um, so this was in the early part of the uh, 20th century. Oh, so really? you can actually go and visit some of these. So when I worked at Liverpool, we used to take our students on a North Wales field trip and we would take them to the reservoirs. And there's under the water where villages used to be. I so, no so, yeah. So some of these kinds of relationships between England and Wales yeah. are, you know, we assume they might go right back to, you know, the 1200s or you know when mm -hmm. there were great battles between the different nations of the united kingdom but actually there's all kinds of complex re political relationships between the different countries of of the united kingdom now i had no idea that's mm. so interesting yeah when yeah. when i lived there you definitely felt it like the mm. the uh, north and south divide yeah. and the the yeah english welsh mm. divide english scottish um but yeah i had no idea that's that recent mm. wow lovely water It, I, Welsh I, water is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. And and then so Liverpool was uh, also a lectureship. 
yes. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was a sort of lateral move. Yeah. Um, and that was mainly a personal move. Okay. So um, wanting to be um, closer to my partner. Mm -hmm. Another thing you have to take into account as you, yeah. you know, go through, you know, do we want to be commuting kind of four hours, which was what we were doing. Yeah. One of us lived in England, one of us lived in Wales. Okay. And then every two weeks I would come home mm -hmm. to a house that we'd bought together. So oh, I would right. go there every two weeks, mm -hmm. um, spend the weekend there and then go back to Where was the house? to a room that I rented in <laughs> Wales. Um, so, um, so yeah. So Liverpool was a, a, a decision to, um, it was sort of a personal decision and, yeah. and, yeah, again, it's sort of, um, I say I say it was a personal decision, but it was also, Liverpool made a lot of sense for me academically because mm -hmm. it's a university in a big historic and also contemporary port city. Mm -hmm. um, so it made a lot of sense for me academically as well. Yeah, okay. And and you were a lecturer there and then a senior lecturer after that. So yeah. you, you had to make that application process. Yeah, yeah, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So. How... how How many attempts did it take you, if I can ask? Two. Two, right? Two. Yeah. Third time lucky. Oh, right. The third time. Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, you, you were in Liverpool how long? Uh, five years. Five years. Okay. Yeah. Four years, five years, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then it took you to here. Yeah. To, to HIFMB. Yeah. So what's the, what's, uh, what, what, what drew you to? Well, I'll tell you a story then. Okay. I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you another story. Okay, shoot. Have we got time? Yeah, we've got Have all we the got time. time. Yes. Have the listeners got time? We've got all the time in the world. Have they got patience? Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, so here's the story behind that. So basically, um, it must have been 2017, maybe mm -hmm. 2018. Um, I got a, um, I got an email, mm -hmm. I got an email um, from a professor, Helmut Hillebrand. Oh. And uh, it was an invitation to a symposium to launch a new institute. Mm -hmm. And the symposium was, I think it was held in June, maybe. Maybe it was in, it must have been in June. And I looked at it and I thought, that sounds like a nice event. But that's the end of the teaching term. Mm -hmm. I was also an admissions tutor in Liverpool. So oh, that's right. a kind of busy job, yeah. administrative job. And I thought, oh, I'm going to be really tired. So I thought, oh, I don't know about going to that. At the same time, I was working with colleagues um, in Bremen mm -hmm. on a grant. And I'd been working on that for about three years at that point um, with a, a wonderful colleague there, uh, Professor Anna Katharina Hornage. Mm -hmm. From um, ZMT. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, and she now works for the um, uh, uh, D i.e. Um, in Bonn, uh, the Development um, ah, Institute in Bonn. Right. Um, she's the director of their institute. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so I'd been working, so I had colleagues in this region. I then got approached for this symposium mm -hmm. and I was kind of tired and I was sort of worn out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can make this event, um, you know, and, but I thought, well, it sounds kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of ummed and ahed a little bit. And then I thought, well, you know, it is the end of the term. And this sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'll go. And cut a very long, I'm slightly boring, sorry, everyone, story short. I like um, it. I, I, I came to the symposium and I had a really wonderful time. Yeah. It was academically fascinating. The people were lovely. Mm -hmm. And I got a sense that something special was mm -hmm. happening. Right. Um, and that was my, that was my impression. And I remember flying home from Bremen Airport and <laughs> thinking, 
God, I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad I went. That was really great. I met some really nice people. And I met some people that widened my circle because I was meeting people who were interested in the ocean, but from different disciplinary perspectives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hang out with a lot of geographers. You know, I like geographers. I'm a geographer. Um, (laughs) But it was really nice to meet people who made me think about the research that I do Mm -hmm. and made me think about it in a different way. So... So, yeah. And then I think uh, a little while after that, a couple of years after that, obviously, I got I got a, I, I, I sort of saw that they were advertising a job and I ummed and ahed about it because I thought there's no way I'm going to get it. So and then I thought, well, there's no way I'm going to get it. I may as well. I may as well apply. You but know? even even after they've invited you to the symposium, you still thought you had no chance. I think the symposium was more about launching the institute. I didn't know if it was, it wasn't necessarily about finding people. Oh, I see. Okay. I think it was more about about letting people know that this thing right. was coming into being okay. this exciting new institute was out there yeah um so so yeah when i saw the job advert i was like okay okay i'll put an application in and i i'll be honest i didn't in a million years so i thought my research and my interests were a bit too removed mm-hmm. um but i thought it's too good an opportunity not to apply for because one it's a fantastic job but but i was more interested I don't wish this to sound, and I hope it doesn't, you know, I I know that titles and things are important to people, but I knew it was the right job because I wasn't interested in that. I wasn't interested in being at the peak of my career or the top of the tree or the hierarchy. I was interested in what, I was interested in having more of the conversations that I'd had. Mm -hmm. I was interested in what the Institute seemed to be doing, which was different. And that was what the appeal was. And it was as simple as that. And so, yeah. um, And then again, luck. I got the job so um and i yeah every day i i wake up and i go oh god <laughs> one i hope i can do it and two i feel really lucky i'm really fortunate and so i think a lot of what i want to do with that job is to help other people build their careers and support their careers oh, and i don't always get that. it don't always get it right um but i think it's a work in progress. Yeah, for sure. You're so, doing a great job of it with, with me anyway. <laughs> well, that's kind. Um, but Thank you. I could be faster. I'm probably a bit too slow. No, 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 but, no that's um, fine. But yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the institute uh, Kim was talking about is, is the HIFMB, mm. not to give anything away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess everybody guessed that. Okay. And, and now you're leading the, the marine governance group. And, and yeah. what's, the, what's the vision for it? Yeah. I mean, the vision is also a work in progress. But I guess the thing that I was really interested in um, lots of studies of governance are very, um, I best guess the best way to put it is very nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we how do we take science and how do we create governance and, and how do we govern what, you know, the practices and processes that relate to the management of something? So in this case, the environment. And they're very kind of um, technical, I mm-hmm. guess, would be the word for it. And on the one hand, I'm quite interested in critical approaches to ocean governance. Mm-hmm. So how does ocean governance happen? What are the power dynamics that are involved in that? Um, What are the logics that underscore the way we govern? Why do we govern the way we do? Um, And why are we so set on governing in certain ways and not (laughs) governing in ways that might be more efficient or effective Mm -hmm. or better, depending on how you define any of those words? Um, So on the one hand, it was wanting to take that kind of more critical approach. On the other hand, as a geographer, governance doesn't just happen anywhere. It happens somewhere. And that spatial aspect that geographical aspect is really important to me and i think Mm -hmm. it's also important i think to marine social sciences and to governance studies that sometimes treat governance as though as though it's somehow 
abstracted from the geography in which it takes place. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the group, I guess there's three visions, really. One, it's to produce critical critical science on, on ocean governance. The second one is spatialized mm -hmm. approaches to, to understanding governance. And then the third thing that I really want to do with the group um, is create a caring space to work, a supportive space to work. Yeah. Um, and that actually is really is probably one of the most important things oh yes um and i think that also echoes i think what we're trying to do as an institute as a whole mm -hmm. um you know I, I think my introduction here um the colleagues who who i first worked with here mm -hmm. um have been have been just amazing um, and i've been really lucky in my career everywhere i've worked there have been nice people yeah um but it's a very sort of special collective here and i think sort of building that group in a way where we're a kind of reflective group of people where we support each other where we're caring where we kind of yeah look after one another um i think is an important thing not least in the days and times that we live in yes for sure mm. we'll do our best of that yeah i'm sure i'm sure you it's will. a great group i mean the group is made by the people in it mm -hmm. so that's the other thing that i can oh god i've got all these visions now <laughs> the other vision i think is sorry i'm just gonna carry on um well the other vision is is a kind of flatness to the group as well like i mm -hmm. don't see myself as the person who leads it the group is made by the people who are in it yeah they make it and so you know lots of people say oh you know kim there's a there's a nice atmosphere but the atmosphere is made by the people in it. i don't make it the mm -hmm. people who are in it make it and yeah. then i feel so privileged to have the opportunity to work with great people they are super interesting so, the, the marine yeah. governance group is, is super interesting yeah. the, the people in it amazing. yeah so we've just really nice people yeah. and doing really great science yes yeah you For included yeah thank you more science to come more, more interesting science mm. all right so we're at the 40 minute mark it's slightly over it even um is there anything anything we've missed anything you you still want to get out there um no i think that's it yeah it's been lovely talking to you thank you thank you for coming mm. no it's been a pleasure <laughs> yeah, a so pleasure. same likewise so good to chat and i wish you the best with this uh, series because i think it's a really great initiative thank for you. sharing more of that sort of special atmosphere that yes. we've been talking about that is here yeah hopefully we get it across hrfmb yes yeah. exactly thank you thanks thanks everybody bye bye want to dive deeper Surf over to hifmb.de or follow us on Twitter at hifmb underscore ol.